Advent just means coming or arrival. We remember the arrival of Jesus. And also in Advent, we look ahead for this same Jesus to come back. And as we look back to his first coming, as we look forward to his second coming, as we're in this this tension looking between these two events, we learn more about what it is to live a life of hope and faith as we wait for him. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying these songs of Advent, particularly from chapters 1 and 2 of the Gospel of Luke, where these different people, Mary, Zechariah, Simeon, they burst into songs as they learn about the coming of Jesus, as they talk about his, his coming, and as they, there are ways each of them are waiting as well for Jesus' kingdom to truly, fully come. So as we look at each song, I pray that we, like Mary, would praise the Lord in our souls as we recount what Jesus coming to the world means and that we be filled with faith as we look forward to his coming again. So in this first song, I want to draw your attention uh, to one big thing. What this, this, the, key, the, the heartbeat of this song is this. And this is, about, this, is, this is the faith of Advent. God lifts up the lowly. That's the heartbeat of this song. So the background behind this song, um, the angel gave, and many of us were really familiar with this story. This is, there's not going to be much in this that's, that's probably new to you, even if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. This story's just worked its way into the bones of our culture. Uh, the angel Gabriel, in the, earlier in the chapter, has visited Mary. She's a virgin, betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph. Gabriel tells her that she will bear a son, whose name will be Jesus. He'll be the son of the Most High, be given the throne of David, and his kingdom will be forever. And Mary receives the news in faith. And she says, and she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then Mary travels to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is a barren woman whom God had blessed with a son. That son would end up would be John the Baptist, the pre the, the forerunner before Jesus. And Elizabeth is, is quite pregnant with John, with John the Baptist when Mary arrives in. And at the, at Mary's coming in through the door, both Elizabeth and John, in utero, are moved by her coming. John leaps in the womb, and Elizabeth, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, she exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your your womb. And Elizabeth goes on. She says, Blessed is she, referring to Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And coming off of this praise, this exaltation, really, at Mary walking into Elizabeth's presence, Mary responds with this song. It's kind of like, have you ever had a, a surprise birthday party or a surprise party thrown for you? Like you, you, you walk in and everyone's like, surprise! And, uh, and then you kind of don't know what to say right after that. There's like an awkward moment of like two seconds to longer where everyone's kind of just like, oh, what happens now? Um, the surprise has been executed. Mary kind of finds herself in a similar situation. All of a sudden, there's very focused, very appropriate attention, really, in light of considering her own faith and the baby she's carrying. It's suddenly focused on her, and she responds with this song of praise, directing attention and directing her heart towards the God who has lifted her up, though she was lowly. And I want to draw your attention to two ways that she praises God for lifting up the lowly. The first is in her own life, and the second is in the world, and how God works in the world. 
So first off, God lifts up the lowly. Mary praises praises him for how she does this in her own life. Uh, Mary comes from lowly origins. Uh, Mary was a destitute teenage girl born in a backwater town in a corner of the Roman Empire. Uh, She's barely on the social rank above slaves. Uh, In the ancient world, she would have been the last person anyone would have expected for an angel from God to tell your son will have a kingdom that will never end. She is the least likely character for that. And it should come as no surprise as you learn this, that in the earliest centuries of the church, um, after after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, in the early church, lots of early Christians were poor, or slaves, or women. The story, be, the story of the gospel begins at their level. And I think we, we're accustomed to these kind of uh, rags-to-riches stories. This isn't really a rags-to-riches story. It's not exactly like that. But those are stories that we love, you know, now in the 21st century, all, these, all this time later, later. And perhaps this is why the Christmas story just grips our imagination of our culture. But it's worth saying that such stories weren't around in the first century A.D. Um, Here's a a quote from a a guy named uh, Celsus. He's this ancient philosopher writing around 175 A.D. The church is really starting to grow, and he's critiquing this new movement that he sees growing around him. Celsus, he critiqued the kind of people that the church attracted. He said this. He said, this is one of the Christians' rules. They say... Let no man that is learned, learned, wise, or prudent come among us. But if, the, if they be unlearned, or a child, or an idiot, let them freely come. So they openly declare that none but the ignorant slaves, women, and children are fit disciples for the God that they worship. And this is Celsus trying to like hack at the legitimacy of such a thing. He scandalized that Christianity is for the lowly that Christianity would start with an angel coming to a peasant girl of all people. And Mary seems to be amazed for the same reason, but she's moved towards praise instead of towards scorn. Reread verses 46 through 49 with me. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Why does she praise God? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's moved to sing because the living God, the holy God, would show favor to one as low and humble as she is. Here's how one commentator rewords this, like a a line from this song. It's as if she says, I was unknown and despised, but that did not prevent God from deigning to cast his eyes upon me. Mary's praise, it's not just an abstract, God lifts up random lowly people or the lowly in general, but she says, no, God has lifted up me in my humble estate. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, the, the difference between dog theology and cat theology. This is a joke I heard this week. Um, dog theology. Uh, a dog looks around at uh, how humans have provided him with, with everything and feed him, and the dog comes to the conclusion that uh, the human must be God. 
uh, cat theology. Cat theology, they look around and see how the human provides them with everything and feeds them, and the cat comes to the, co- the conclusion, well, I must be God. Um, of these two alternatives, you can see which one Mary is practicing. She looks at all that God has provided for her, and she is moved by how, how she's been blessed by him, the one that's high and lifted up, that he has looked upon her and we may not, as we hear this, like we may not agree with Celsus, you know, Celsus critiquing the church. But we can't admit, we should admit, hey, Celsus was on to something. This is the scandal of the gospel that we see in this song. The scandal is this. God lifts up the unworthy, not those who think they are worthy. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Mary gets that she has no grounds on which to boast, and her blessedness is due entirely to the kindness that God has shown to her. The world reckons her as trash, but God reckons her as mother of the Lord. Let me reintroduce you, or introduce you to the first time, for a churchy word that's so beautiful that it needs to be defined again and again and again. It's grace. Grace is the overflowing favor of God towards undeserving sinners. Or to fit with our theme of God lifting up the lowly today, Grace is God lifting up the lowly who have no right to be lifted up. We see the climax of grace, of course, not in this song, as beautiful as it is, but in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The the baby that Mary's carrying, he will one day go be on a cross. Jesus, who had a right to everything, takes from uh, who take he takes away from us, us who have only a right to God's wrath. And he bears on himself our sins so that we can be covered and cleansed and made new. That's grace. When we hear Mary sing, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, I think we would do well to imagine our Lord looking down on us from his cross. We are the humble servant we are the humblest, the one of humble estate that he has looked down upon in his grace. Grace, God lifting up the low and the undeserving. It's wildly offensive if you take time to think about it. Consider what it means. It means that God does not lift you up because you're intelligent or because you're well-informed about important things or because you're a really hard worker at providing for your family or because you're compassionate or because you have perfectly navigated your life to never hurt anybody. God doesn't lift up those who think they're worthy. He lifts up those who know that they're lowly. Can you see how this, there's the power of this? Like, if it was the other way, if God were to lift us up because of how we think we're worthy, we would use our worthiness as a bargaining chip to get from God what we think he owes us. And don't we do this all the time? 
don't we leverage our righteousness with what we with God and what he th- we think he owes us cat theology that's what that is God owes you God owes me God owes us nothing but in his love he offers us everything but you have to know that you come to him with nothing to access everything. Let me flip that list around that I just had. If this means that God lifts up those who are unintelligent, who aren't well-informed on important matters, who feel like they're letting down their families, who know that their hearts are hard and uncompassionate, who have hurt people close to them, intentionally and unintentionally. Christianity is incredibly good news for those... For the losers, like us. And isn't this such a relief? Isn't this such good news? Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, is what the New Testament says. Not those who have patched together their life perfectly enough to receive him. Jesus' advent was not to uplift the version of you that you're always painfully propping up to the world but the real you with your failures, your regrets, and your sins. So if you come here this morning like Celsus and you're looking for a proper religion that attracts the best, the brightest, the purest, you have come to the wrong place. The advent of our Savior shows us that this is a faith for those who know that they are lowly. And to the proud, this faith is scandalous. And speaking of the proud, let's move to the second thing. God lifts up the lowly. What we see in this song, Mary recognizes that God lifts up the lowly in the world. The second reason Mary praises God is that she sees how God's kingdom works. Reread verses 51 through 53 with me. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. There's little poetry in the world that's so beautiful and also so inflammatory as this. By sending, um, there's the, the like something, scattering the, he kind of scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. The image that I have, have that I was thinking about, it's almost like, if you ever, like a, behind my house where I was growing up, there are, you know, there are big, there are these like, you know, this high anthills, like people, like these ants, like scurrying around doing all this important, important work. It's almost like she's saying that God's way, God's kingdom, is He takes like, it's like God just like kicks the anthill of the proud, scatters them in the, the thoughts of their hearts. By sending Jesus into the world, this is what God has done with the hearts of the prideful. It's kicked down all their conquest, their power grabbing striving for immortality, heart's desire to accumulate and control and rule. It's the anthill that God kicks down. Do you see why this poetry would be so offensive to a guy like Celsus or to Caesar? This song lifts up the lowly, but it also shows that God tears down the proud. 
It's almost with this as if Mary can see into the future ministry of her son. Though Mary, Mary sings these in the past tense. This news applies to just the advent of our Lord, just him coming into the world. But it's especially true with the kind of ministry Jesus does. Like Jesus literally sent the rich away empty. He did their literal stories. That's what he does with the rich young ruler. They, they leave disappointed with him. By Jesus' cross and resurrection, more than just people who are prideful being disappointed, Jesus, in his cross and resurrection, he triumphs over not just the humans, but over the spiritual powers of darkness. So here is the, an Advent application that you may not have expected. Forsake your pride. Forsake the ways that you consider yourself mighty and rich. Look at the places where you grade yourself above others. The, the places where you practice cat theology instead of dog theology. And with this, I was really moved in, in thinking about this with pride. Like, I would also warn you, like in forsaking your pride, the flip side of this is to also forsake your self-loathing. Beware of your self-loathing, which is, is just the last stand of pride. That's all self-loathing is. Pride says, only I am qualified to judge myself, and I will judge myself as superior relentlessly. Though there is a version of pride, a more fragile version of pride, that says, others judge me highly, and I rest on that judgment of others entirely. There's a pride in that too. But self-loathing says, only I am qualified to judge myself, same as pride, and I will judge myself as inferior relentlessly. Mary, in contrast, sings, God's mercy is on those who fear him. If you cling to your self-loathing, you're denying God's mercy and love towards you. Do you honestly think that there is any corner of this dark earth that is out of reach of God's mercy? Of his love? Do you think so little of, of the living God? Self-loathing is to cling to your judgment of yourself instead of God's mercy, which ultimately is actually no different than pride. Lay it down. The pride and the self-loathing. Lay it down like a, a surrendering soldier laying down his rifle. Lay them down and receive this instead. His mercy is for those who fear him. Also, I want to invite you to partner with God in lifting up the lowly. It would be remiss of me not to preach about this with this text. Uh, Mary sings here about God's kingdom, how he lifts up the lowly. It's his way. It's Jesus' way to exalt the humble, fill the hungry with good things, show mercy on the undeserving. And for us to do thing, these things in, in alignment with Jesus, in full reliance upon God's spirit, is to partner with what God is doing in the world. God lifts up the lowly, and it's our privilege to do the same. And, I, and as, I, as I say this, I hope you don't hear me saying, hey, just go out and do good things. This is not an abstract call to just do social good, whatever the heck that means. No, this is a personal call that comes out of everything else that I've already said. 
we're privileged to lift up the lowly because we know that Jesus lifted us up when we were lowly. We serve the hungry because their hunger should remind us of how starving we are spiritually without Christ. We parent our kids patiently and gently as they're having meltdowns because their immaturity should remind us of how immature we were in our sin. Yet Jesus came to us slowly, kindly, gently, and taught us the way. There's a world of difference between be a good person, do better, and we love because he first loved us. God lifts up the lowly. Mary sees how God has done that in her own life and how he's doing it in the world and how it's the way of Jesus' kingdom. This is a song of praise from a woman who knows that she is low. And the most beautiful of songs come from those who have a big view of their lowliness, but an even bigger view of God's mercy for them. And I want to invite you this morning to have faith in this God, like Mary does. If you find yourself intrigued, perhaps disagreeing with our old friend Celsus, this God may be for you. If you know you're lowly, the motley crew that we call the church could be the home for you. I invite you with Mary to praise this God. The most natural thing for those who have received God's mercy is to sing his praises. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.